So it's uh, really good to be with you the, this morning as you continue your series on Look Who Is Coming to Stay. And today we have the coming of grace. Coming of grace. How do we define grace? Here's one person's definition. God makes beauty out of ugly things. And uh, if you want the proof of it, there's me as a baby. (laughs) And you can see what God has done. It's not entirely true. That's, uh, I actually was a very pretty baby. I've just gone downhill ever since. But that's, uh, that's uh, a baby that won an ugly baby competition. And, of course, just proves the point that most babies probably are ugly, apart from yours, of course. And uh, if there's anyone here who's got a baby, that's not true. But uh, I often think that babies look ugly. Right. Who said it, though? It's not in the Bible. Who says God makes beauty out of ugly things? Well, it's that gentleman there. Some of you will recognize one of the sort of, not that I'm massively into rock music, but I, U2 is one of the bands that I do like listening to at times. And uh, that, that line, God makes beauty out of ugly things, came from a song called Grace that uh, Bono wrote. It's got some lovely words to it. I think I've got some actually scribbled at the back here. Grace, she takes the blame, she covers the shame removes the stain. What once was hurt, what once was friction, no longer stings, because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. And of course, he's got a sort of Christian background and professes some sort of Christian faith. And that's what he says. Grace is my favorite word in the English language. Uh, Philip Yancey has written the book Amazing Grace, calls it the last best word. Grace is the last best word. And uh, words like graceful and uh, uh, gratitude and words like that that's gracious that come out of that root word, he said, are all good words that are worth thinking about. So what is grace? Well, we could, we could take a definition and say that grace is simply God's undeserved favor God's undeserved favor sometimes people draw the distinction between its sister word mercy and they say mercy is the fact that God doesn't give you what you deserve and grace is that God gives you what you don't deserve grace but grace perhaps is one of those words that we don't really want to that are that are difficult in some ways to explain or at least we don't just want to talk about them Grace needs to be experienced. Now, if I was to go, and uh, years ago we lived on, on the, near the equator in, uh, in Africa, and if I was to talk to one of the lads there that used to live in the sort of huts around the house that we lived in, if I was to try and explain to him snow, I could have a go at it, couldn't I? I could say that I could try a scientific explanation, which would be very difficult with my sort of grade 6 GCSE science uh, O-level, But I could say somehow the way that moisture uh, freezes and it comes down in snow. I could talk to him about the way it it looks, you know, the flakes and everyone's unique and when they settle it becomes some sort of solid mass. 
I could talk to him about how it feels, but the real thing would be to take him and let him experience snow, wouldn't it? Let him, let him play in it. Let him make snowballs with it. Let's build a snowman. Let him go sledging. If you haven't, got, if you haven't noticed, I actually love snow. And uh, I'm looking forward, if we move north, to perhaps having a bit more than we do down in Chard and Somerset. Snow's wonderful, in moderation, of course. We don't want too much of it, but snow is what... And he would need to experience. And we could therefore see the joy, the amazement on his face as he experienced snow, perhaps for the first time. And we need to experience grace. We need to know it. It isn't good enough to just talk about it or reflect on it. It's something that we need to experience in our own hearts. So let's, let's just pray briefly and then we're going to read the scripture together. So Father, we've sung about your grace this morning. We've sung about your love. Lord, we need to know this though, not just at a distance or not just from words on a page, but we need to know that in our hearts that that you love us, that your love, your grace is undeserved. But it is absolutely wonderful, amazing, and personal. So, Father, we pray that as we spend these few minutes together and look at your word, we pray, Lord, that you might, in some gracious way, reveal yourself to us, to each of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to our scripture then, which is in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I heard Roger on the podcast refer to uh, the Bible, church Bible, so it's page 1195 if anyone's got a church Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse uh, 8 we'll start at. So Paul writing to uh, Timothy, Paul right at the end of his life, and he knows it. He hasn't got long to go before he transfers from this life into, into the life uh, with, with Christ, fully with Christ. So he writes in verse 8, he says, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul, they're talking to Timothy, and he says, yeah, I'm, an, I'm a prisoner. Things, in one sense, are not looking good. But he said, don't be ashamed or give up, because God's power is at work in us. And it's that power that, that has saved us, that power that enables us to live a holy life. And it's all because of God. It's all because of Jesus. And this was God's plan from the beginning of time, before time. But now we see it. Now we see God's grace in the form of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, who has destroyed death and has brought to life the gospel. So he's saying grace, God has revealed his grace in many ways. But we now see it 
made flesh, made manifest, made visible through our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Grace is revealed. Last week was talking about how Jesus reveals God to us. He shows us what God is like. He is the complete revelation. We see, we see something of God in lots of ways, don't we? We see something of God's grace in the world in which we live and uh, in the beauty uh, of creation, despite all the things that we have done that we shouldn't have done to the world in which we live. We can see that in, in terms of stuff that we watch. We can see just looking out the window on a, on a day like this and looking at the sun shining and the, and the nature out there. We see it by watching wonderful programs, don't we, about the universe, about, about the natural world in which we live. Did you see that program about the single cell on television recently? That, In a sense, there's a whole world within a single cell. It's absolutely amazing. And those things talk to us something about God and his grace, his beauty, his variety, his majesty, the wonder of it all, complexity. And we see God's grace revealed to Israel, don't we, through the Old Testament. And uh, if you remember, go back to that time when, when uh, God had led the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, at Mount Sinai, and Moses feels particularly emboldened. And he says to God, he said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see what you're like. And God in his grace says, okay, Moses, I'll show you. You won't be able to see my face, but I'll let you see my back. And I'm going to put you in this little cleft of the rock. And I'm going to go past you, Moses, and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. I'm going to show you, tell you, in a sense, let you experience my glory. And uh, this is what he said, God said, as he proclaimed himself to Moses. Read it in Exodus 34, 6 if you want to. He says, the Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Moses, you want to see my glory? Do you want to know what I'm like? That's what I'm like. That's what I'm like. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And right throughout the history of Israel, don't we, we see that repeated God, make, God bless them in so many ways. And yet time and time again, they go their own way. They turn away from him. And time and time again, God sends the prophets. God calls them back through circumstances to come and seek him. God of grace. But of course, Jesus is the true revelation, that full revelation of God's grace. Last week, you read from Hebrews chapter 1 and the first verse there said God spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. He is the full revelation and that's revealed uh, in, his, in his birth in his life and of course most magnificently in a sense gloriously in his death in his birth. And I'm not going to dwell on the Christmas theme today. You'll have opportunity to do that, I'm sure, next week and over the next couple of weeks. But in this Christmas story, we see God's grace revealed, don't we, in so many ways. 
And uh, we see it in all the subplots as well that are going on. So there, for instance, there's Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, devout, God-fearing people, and yet having had that shame of never having had a child. How often had she prayed? How often had they prayed that God would bless them with a child, which was so important in their society? Important today, of course, for us too, but perhaps even more so then. And God, in his grace, when it looks like all hope has gone, he gives them a son, a very special son. Or in Joseph, the grace of Joseph, that he was willing to take Mary, his pregnant, not by him, to take her as his wife, not to embarrass her, not to divorce her, but to obey what God had said to him. Well, the fact that God, the angels appeared to that group of shepherds. Why shepherds? Ordinary men. No great significance. And yet it's to them that the message is revealed. Or to the foreigners from the east, those wise men that traveled. These are all pictures of God's grace. But of course, ultimately, most gloriously, of course, in that birth, in that very humble birth, in that cave perhaps at the back of the inn, there's the baby in a, in, a, in a trough, a feeding trough. And yet that baby, with all the weakness and frailty of a baby, is the creator of the universe. That's God's grace. God's grace. The one who emptied himself, who didn't grasp at what was his, but let go. And it says, became like as nothing the human life for us. Revealed, of course, oh yes, and we often think, don't we, that the nativities, it's all nice and tidy and they look almost idyllic, don't they? I, I wouldn't mind being in that situation myself. It looks wonderful. But of course, the reality was very different in his life. Not just his birth. John, the disciple, when he's talking about Jesus at the beginning of his gospel, what does he say Jesus is like? Well, we read those words, don't we, in, in, in verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling ab- among us. The message says, I think, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And what's his glory? What is he like? He's full of grace and truth. That's how John sums up Jesus Christ. Full of grace and truth. That's what he's like. That's who I found Jesus to be. And of course then John goes on through his, throughout his gospel to show how that is true in the, in the various incidents that he records. So right at the beginning we've got that, that, Cain, that wedding at Cana of Galilee, haven't we? Where big social embarrassment. Wine's run out. They're going to talk about this for years. That family are going to be in disgrace. And Jesus steps in and creates all that wonderful wine of exceptional quality. That's grace. Or the woman at the well, that outcast because of her life and her failed relationships with men, who Jesus goes and spends time with, breaks all social conventions so that he can talk to her and reveal himself to her, a Samaritan, an outcast. And so we've gone on through John's Gospel. We could talk about many other instances where John shows us that Jesus was like this. He was full of grace 
and truth. And that's why the, the religious people just couldn't get it, could they? They couldn't understand how Jesus could identify with, could welcome, could accept people who were not good people. Why? Why is he doing it? These people are not following the, the, the law of God that God has given us. Why would Jesus, who claims he's from God, identify with them, accept them, welcome them? Why would he do that? And Jesus says, you don't understand. He said, so I'm going to tell you a story. No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you three stories, but really only one. And we talk about them, don't we, as the, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the lost son. And in those parables, they've all got one, one message. So somebody has lost something. Somebody doesn't give up. They go looking for it. They've lost it, and it causes them great distress and hurt and pain. But they don't give up. They go looking for it. They find it. And when they find it, great joy and rejoicing, celebration. And, um, and of course, in that, parable of the, uh, in that parable of the lost, in the parable of the lost son, we have a situation where a father has lost a son. Or rather, the, fa- the son has deliberately choose, chosen to be lost. So he treats his father incredibly disrespectfully. And he goes and takes his inheritance, and he goes off, and he spends it, and he wastes it. And it's only when he's got nowhere else to go, it's only when he's bankrupt and he's destitute, it's only then that we read that he thinks about his father and back home. And then he goes back. And of course, as he goes back, he doesn't get, he doesn't get home before his father sees him. Why? Because his father, despite all the, way that he's, all the way that he's been treating, that father has been wanting, waiting, hoping, looking for the return of his son. And when the father sees him, He doesn't wait for him to come back. He runs and puts his arms around him and kisses him, it says. Doesn't want to hear the excuses. Doesn't say why. Doesn't start demanding that he prove himself first. He just welcomes him. And Jesus, to those people, those Pharisees who can't understand why Jesus behaves like he does, he says, look, don't you understand? Don't you understand? I don't... I don't treat people because of what they are like or what they've done. I treat people, I deal with people because of who my father is and what he is like. He loves them. No ifs, no buts, no sort yourself out first. He loves them. He doesn't treat people like they deserve because there isn't one of them or there isn't one of us who deserves God's favour not one grace comes to us grace comes to me and to you free of charge no strings attached because that is the nature of God himself and we need to realise and to experience that ourselves it comes to us free because he paid the cost every bit of it there's nothing 
There's nothing for us to do. Just to receive what God offers. Grace is revealed in Jesus Christ, in his birth, in his life, in his death. But grace needs to be received. It's freely offered, but it needs to be received. Because there were two lost sons, weren't there, in the story? Not just one. There's another son who'd done all the right things. He'd stayed at home. He'd worked hard. He'd been respectful to his father. And so when his younger brother comes back, he isn't happy, is he? In fact, the Bible says he's angry. Because all he saw was a worthless brother coming back who'd wasted a fortune and now thought that somehow he could have some of his. And he didn't deserve it. And so he couldn't, he wouldn't go back into the house. Read it in Luke 15. And the father goes out to him as well. The father goes out and pleads with him to come back. Don't know if he did. You see, he thought he was all right. He thought he'd earned God's, his father's favor. He'd earned his inheritance. He couldn't receive the grace. That, of course, is one of the most well-known pictures of the 19th century painted by Holman Hunt. I haven't looked at it myself for years, but, of course, you know, you know that picture well because there's the door, isn't it? with all the weeds and ivy growing around it, that door doesn't look as if it's been opened. If it has, not for a long time. And there Jesus knocks and waits. Because that's grace. He doesn't force himself. He doesn't say, come on, sort yourself out. He waits. Grace has to be received. Have we received it? Have you received God's grace? Are you receiving God's grace? Because, you know, we need to continue to receive it. It's not just about a one-off receipt. Yes, we need that initial, that initial understanding, that initial opening of the door, but the door needs to stay open. Yesterday I visited my mother who lives in Droitwich, and because uh, it's good not to be too far away from here, it was great. She's not particularly well. Got various things, but one of the things is she's uh, got heart problems. And uh, I was with her at the hospital a few months beginning of this year when having had an angiogram. They said, uh, sorry, your heart is, uh, you've got problems. Your arteries are not what they ought to be. They've hardened, they've blocked, you're not getting the blood through. And actually, really, the only thing we can do apart from medication is for you to have a bypass operation. And she doesn't want to have a bypass operation, so... She's going to have to continue struggling. Because the arteries means now that that blood doesn't get through. So things don't work as they should work. You know, there's a danger for us, some of us have been believers a long time, is that we, we start receiving God's grace. Our arteries get a little hardened. And then we don't function as God intends us to function. Do you need some more of God's grace? Do you need to remind yourself of what's happened in the past? I think maybe we all do at times. I certainly do. 
And finally, in closing, grace needs to be recycled. If we receive God's grace, you see, grace is not, is not an end in itself, as it were. Grace has an eternal value. And uh, it goes on working. It doesn't stop working. It's a bit like a reservoir, right? Reservoirs are not just for people like me to go and fish in, good as that might be. Reservoirs are to be a supply, a resource, so that as people need water, they can draw from it. We, as believers, are meant to be reservoirs of God's grace. We are meant to be recycling God's grace. We produce, in our society, lots of rubbish, lots and lots. But some people, of course are good at recycling it and uh, we should all be recycling it of course that's the message but some people can do some wonderful things I remember that time but here's just there's some bags they're produced out of juice cartons those bags are very nice aren't they and uh, we could look at many other things that are recycled God's grace needs to be recycled in us so that because God makes beauty out of ugly things he can make beauty out of us Something beautiful, but also something that is beautiful to somebody else. Are you recycling God's grace in your life? In the way that you continue to to keep going even when things are difficult. You know, I've got some of the greatest encouragements to me are some of the older folks in our church and the things that they face both physically themselves and in their circumstances and the way they keep going. The way that they grace keeps them going. But perhaps one of the most important ways we can think about grace being recycled is in forgiveness. That's what C.S. Lewis said. To be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God forgives the inexcusable in use. Grace is totally undeserved. Grace is completely, freely received. And that should be reflected in the way that we live. Do you need to forgive anybody who's wronged you, hurt you? Maybe your, maybe your resentment in one sense is totally justified. But in another it's not. If you've received God's forgiveness, who forgives all of that muck, all of that ugly stuff in us, then we also need to be forgiving and not held anything back. And maybe, you just, maybe we just need to pray, God, give us the grace to forgive. And God will honour that request, that prayer. The final word in the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. May it be with each and every one of us today and in this week ahead and in whatever God has planned for us in the future.